Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In director Stephen Talbot's relevatory new documentary film, The Movement and the Mad Men, shows how two anti-war protests in the fall of 1969, the largest the country had ever seen, pressured President Richard Nixon to cancel what he called his madman plans for a massive escalation of the U.S. war in Vietnam, including a threat to use nuclear weapons. It's a remarkable documentary film. Even for those people who think they know a lot about the war in Vietnam, I think they'll find a lot of interesting and illuminating new information in this wonderful documentary film. We're joined today by the director of The Movement and the Mad Men, and that would be Stephen Talbot. Stephen, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you very much, Mike. Nice to be talking with you. The film premieres on PBS, on American Experience, on Tuesday, March 28th, and it is a sweeping view of a period of time in American history, and I think it's easy for us to lose sight of just how damage the country was politically and socially during this period of time. And even as fraught as we are in these times today, looking back on it, cities were on fire. People were, there were fire bombings at places, all all kinds of things were going on. The country seemed to be unraveling. So as a, in terms of the perspective of today, where we are politically, but Putting that aside, and we'll get into that part of the discussion later on, but what inspired you to want to do the movement and the Mad Men? Really discovering the story of what had been going on behind the scenes, because I was a participant in anti-war demonstrations in 1969. I was a college student back east in Connecticut, although I'm a Californian through and through, but I was back east in college and I was very involved in the anti-war movement. And in October of 1969, I took part in the moratorium, what was a a national moratorium of protest against the war in Middletown, Connecticut. And we made a special effort to get off our campus where we'd had lots of protests against the war and into the community and trying to rally ordinary citizens to join us in being against the war. And that was very, very successful in our little town of Middletown and across the whole country. That was an enormous success, the moratorium. It involved two to three million people in hundreds of towns and cities across the country. The biggest demonstration that day was in Boston, over 100,000 people on the Boston Common. It was very big in LA. There were giant rallies on the USC campus and on the UCLA campus. Uh, It was a big, big national event. And it took almost everyone by surprise. The media was shocked and ended up doing pretty favorable coverage, national coverage of it, because so many ordinary American citizens took part. Um, It it sort of defied the stereotype of the anti-war movement as being hippies and radicals or whatever. So it was a big, big event, and it shocked the Nixon administration. Uh, And then in November that fall, November 15th, there were just two enormous demonstrations in Washington, D.C., within earshot of the White House, which was barricaded and surrounded by buses and troops called out, thousands of 
of, of soldiers occupying Washington. And then in San Francisco, on the West Coast, there was a big, big rally in San Francisco, the biggest anti-war rally the Western United States had ever seen in Golden Gate Park, emceed, incidentally, by Carl Reiner, the comedian, and featuring a lot of great music, including uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So those were big demonstrations. And on the East Coast, I was involved. And as a college student, I was an old English major who had gotten very interested in film. And we had a very rudimentary film program at my school, Wesleyan. And I rounded up my friends and we went down to Washington and we filmed the demonstration in Washington. And believe it or not, that was my college thesis film. And believe it or not, I used clips from that film in this PBS American Experience new film that's coming out. Fantastic. Well, I was very involved. That's a long answer. Sorry. No. I, was, I was very involved at the time. And then, you know, 50 years later, I'm learning about what was going on inside the White House and what Nixon and Kissinger and the National Security Council and people in the Pentagon were planning to do in Vietnam, this major escalation of the war. And it turns out Nixon called it off at the very last minute because of the size and the breadth of those demonstrations. So when I found that out, I thought, oh, my God, I've got to make a film about this. Well, th th there you go. And I think that's a really great place to pick up the conversation about the feeling at the time that these demonstrations were taking place and the apparent lack of movement, the lack of quote unquote success in bringing, a, hastening the end of the American involvement in the war in Vietnam, and the sense that it wasn't having a, a material effect on, on US foreign policy, given the fact that we know from history that the US involvement in Vietnam lasted until April of 1975. So we're talking six, almost six years later. However, and this is that it's a big however, because there was so much more going on that we didn't know about at the time. Am I being fair the way I put that? Yes, absolutely. Dan Ellsberg, who we interviewed at length for this film, was an interview done three years ago, just before the pandemic struck. So we interviewed him at his home in the Bay Area. And he was incredibly sharp and articulate and really wanted to talk. I think it's the longest interview I've ever done. And we did that interview on camera and then COVID hit. So all the other interviews, we had to do audio only. It was um, born out of necessity. We didn't want to jeopardize people's health. And so we decided to interview people only audio. And in the end, that worked, I think, to our advantage because the soundtrack of the film is the music of the day. And then all these voices, they're all original interviews with people who were active in the streets, demonstrating against the war on the one hand, and then people inside the White House who were plotting this massive escalation of the war. I got very fortunate and talked to three people who were all aides to Henry Kissinger at the time, who all eventually broke with Kissinger and came out against the war. But at the time, they were involved in this planning of this massive escalation, came to be horrified that there was even the military option of using nuclear weapons. That was happening at the same time as these demonstrations. And it was just such a compelling story and no one knew about it at the time. This is only known now because eventually 
documents were declassified. And we now can look at the actual military planning that was being done by Colonel Alexander Haig, who was Nick Kissinger's military aide at the time. So this is all relatively new information. Some of it has come out over the years um, in books and articles, um, but it's not something that the general public knows. This is not something that is in textbooks about the history of the Vietnam War. So I think people should know about it. And one of the things that it shows is the power of protest, even when you don't know at the time what yeah. you're accomplishing. I'm old enough to remember much of what I saw in this film. I remember this sort of just kind of disheartened sense of things that uh, it was, I think, not long after the, the moratorium that, that Nixon made the decision to start drawing down troops. But I also remember that I believe it was in 71 and 72, an escalation of the bombing of Hanoi and Haiphong, as I recall, the Christmas Day bombings that were massive in scale and frankly approaching the level of a war crime, in my opinion, in terms of what Nixon unleashed on essentially uh, helpless civilian populations in, in part of North Vietnam. So there is just a continued to be a mixed bag of what was going on in terms of the war. But the salient point is the, this idea of the madman strategy. Yes. So just to back up for a second. So Nixon had this idea and he called it privately to his closest aides, people like H.R. Haldeman and Kissinger and so forth. He called it his madman theory, his madman strategy. And what he believed is that if he acted like a madman, like a maniac who had his finger on the nuclear button, that he could threaten any adversary in the world, the Soviet Union, the Chinese, the North Vietnamese, that he would use nuclear weapons and that he was crazy enough to actually do it, even though, of course, it was a horrendous taboo and who would be crazy enough to use nuclear weapons. You know, flash forward, we now have Putin threatening to use nuclear weapons in his invasion of Ukraine. This is something that is not just a Nixon phenomenon. Um, other leaders uh, seem all too prey to this. But this was Nixon's theory. So back in 1969, what he did was to begin planning for a massive escalation of the war in Vietnam to force the North Vietnamese to capitulate, to agree to his peace terms, which meant basically leaving the country divided, leaving a US-backed government in power in the South. And he wanted North Vietnam to accept that. The North Vietnamese and their allies in the South, the National Liberation Front, were never going to accept that. Um, and Nixon, in retrospect, says in his memoirs, he should have realized that. But he didn't. He persisted. He was trying to win. He was trying to win the war. And so he began this, this planning for this escalation. And he and Kissinger began delivering, all throughout 1969, private messages to the Russians and to the North Vietnamese that they had to capitulate, accept these terms by November 1st, or they would face unbelievable military consequences, including the threat, the implied threat to them of the use of nuclear weapons. And then meanwhile, 
as the date approaches, November 1st, Kissinger pulls together a special group at the National Security Council, and they begin laying out the military operations. They call this Operation Duck Hook, and it included plans to bomb the cities of North Vietnam, to mine the harbor at Haiphong. It included a possible invasion of North Vietnam by US and South Vietnamese forces. And it included the option of the use of tactical nuclear weapons dropped on North Vietnam. So it was a madman plan and Nixon was carrying this out and he was prepared to do it. They were making these threats and at the last minute, he backed down. And now why did he back down? Of all the interviews we've done and talking to so many people, the biggest reason, the biggest pressure, and Nixon hits, hints at this in his own memoir, is that these two giant anti-war demonstrations in the fall of 1969 convinced him that he could never get away with it. That if he started this huge escalation of the war again in North Vietnam, that the country would explode. He couldn't pull it off politically. And so he backed down. Now, he backed down, and that's incredibly important, and that's what our film is about. Exactly. But to carry it out, he never totally gave up on the idea. And the following spring, he picks up one of the options, and he invades Cambodia. And that triggers a national student strike, and it leads to the tragedy of the shooting of the students at Kent State and Jackson State in Mississippi. And then, as you say, he actually initiated this colossal bombing of North Vietnam in 71. He continued the air war and in 72. And right before the final peace agreement assigned the Paris Peace Accords in 1973, he unleashes what you referred to the Christmas bombing of Hanoi. Bak Mai Hospital, their big public hospital was, was damaged in that bombing. It was a terrible, terrible, I think it's a war crime. I do too. Um, that Nixon and Kissinger carried out. And I actually went to North Vietnam uh, with two friends invited by the Journalists Association of North Vietnam in 1974. So a year after the peace agreement was, was signed, the POWs had come home. And I went to, to make a film about the damage that had been done to North Vietnam in, in that in awful war. And I made a film about that. And so I saw a lot of this myself. I'll never forget it as long as I live. The 69 demonstrations that my film is about now had a great political impact that was very important. And they led Nixon to decide he had to really withdraw US forces from Vietnam and that he had to end the draft. So those peace demonstrations in 69 not only averted a giant military escalation and saved, I would say, countless lives, Americans and Vietnamese. But they pushed Nixon to rapidly begin to end the draft and to rapidly begin to withdraw American troops. What he did, unfortunately, was an air war. He continued a big air war throughout, uh, right up until the end. And he also continued military aid and supplies to a crumbling, corrupt South Vietnamese government, which eventually fell 
1975. And I'd like to point out the raids were carried out with the use of B-52 bombers, which were state-of-the-art. They were very destructive military machinery. Yes, this was World War II style carpet bombing. Carpet bombing, um, yeah. And it was terrifying. The North Vietnamese actually, with SAM missiles, ended up shooting down quite a few B-52s. And there were captured American pilots and so forth. But those B-52, those bombing raids did horrendous, horrendous damage and caused enormous loss of life in Vietnam. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Stephen Talbert. He is, he's the director of this documentary film called The Movement and the Mad Men. It will be premiering on American Experience of PBS, American Experience on Tuesday, March 28th. And as I often say, check your local listings for the PBS affiliate near you. Um, there's just so many ways. I'd love to take this conversation, but I fear that we would end up down a rabbit hole. I don't want to go too far down. But one of the things that I think really needs to be talked about and how it relates to today, I think the fact that we are in a period of political unrest and and polarization and it feels like, uh, you know, this is never going to end. The war in Vietnam was pretty serious in terms of the impact it had on the political environment we lived in during that period of time. There were cities on fire. There was a lot of turmoil in the country at that time. And it did seem like things were unraveling. And we are in a situation now where I think a lot of people are projecting in that direction that we are politically unraveling. We're becoming more and more pigeonholed into our little our little ecosystems of, uh, of news and political thought. But I think it's important for us to go back 50 years and see that we were in a pretty bad state at that time. People talked openly at that time about the country devolving into civil war. So, And one of the interviews we did in this film is uh, with a man named Stephen Bull, who happened to be Nixon's personal aide. He was like his personal secretary assistant. He was a total Nixon loyalist to this day, stayed with Nixon all the way through Watergate, left Washington on the helicopter with Nixon to fly out to San Clemente. He was a total loyalist and a total supporter of Nixon. And it was very interesting to talk to him about this. And he said at the time, he was very hostile to the anti-war movement. He said that when over 500,000 demonstrators showed up in Washington on November 15th and held this enormous rally with Pete Seeger leading the crowd, singing the John Lennon anthem, Give Peace a Chance, echoing to the across to the White House, you know, there was something like 10,000 armed U.S. soldiers brought in by Nixon to stand by, he thought, in case people attacked the White House, which was never going to happen. Bull says in the film, we thought we were on the verge of a revolution. Uh, the White House was barricaded. Uh, I interviewed Henry Kissinger years ago, and he told me during this demonstration he uh, slept in the basement of the White House in a secure room. So they were, they were shocked. They were terrified and they were paranoid and they were also out to get the anti-war movement. So the tension was very high and the country was deeply, deeply divided. I mean, I think back in the 60s, the country was as politically divided 
almost as it was during the Civil War, 100 years earlier. And here we are, as you say, in another very difficult, very politically fraught, divided time. What I think is important to remember is that the anti-war movement at its best in 1969 was making an enormous effort to reach out and be as broad and inclusive and nonviolent as possible. The demand was militant. The demand was immediate withdrawal of all U.S. troops from Vietnam. But the organizing effort was to try to bring unions and business people and mothers and religious activists and anyone who could join. It was a, it was a big tent protest. And there was a lot of sectarianism and a lot of anger in the anti-war movement, too, because the war had been going on for so long. And SDS, which had organized the first big demonstration against the war in 1965, in 1969, SDS imploded. It broke up into sectarian factions. Uh, one of the splinter groups became the Weathermen. There was a lot of pressure building up and a lot of people thinking, oh my God, you know, we've got to turn to some form of violent protest to end this war. But the leaders of the demonstrations in 69 were resisting that and were saying, no, we want to get as many Americans as possible because polls were showing that after four or five years of war in Vietnam, the American public was turning against the war. A majority of the people were saying in polls that the war they realized at that point was a mistake, never should have happened, was immoral, unjust, should be ended. But how to end it was very tricky. And Nixon and his supporters were very adept at dividing people. And he called upon what he called in a very famous November 3rd, no, 69 speech, he called on what he described as the great silent majority of Americans to come out and uh, support him and oppose the anti-war movement. And of course, they turned to the hard hat construction workers to attack anti-war demonstrators in New York the following spring when people turned out to protest the Cambodia invasion. So things were tense. Things were very tense. Absolutely. Again, I feel like there are echoes of all of the things that we see in this film, The Movement and the Mad Men, that are relevant to today, not the least of which is a, many, many people coming together in common cause to affect a more democratic society, a more open society, a society that is that can have a peaceful, positive change on, on the country. And I, I see that in this film. The the war in Vietnam, to me, my personal opinion of Richard Nixon is very, very negative. And I've always thought of him as a, a man who came along in a period of American history when he could have been Lincoln and he went the other way. He chose to divide the country. And that for, for me, yeah, that is the dividing really, line. Hmm? I think that's a very, very important point. I would say this, you know, Nixon and Kissinger end up signing a peace accord in 1973. And that accord is essentially the same terms that they could have gotten in 1969. Nixon's elected 
The war has been going on for years. It was a democratic war. It was a war under Lyndon Johnson and Robert McNamara. Nixon comes in saying he wants to end the war and that he has a secret plan to end the war. Right. Who knew his secret plan was going to be a massive escalation? That's what he was promising the American public. And he could have been a peacemaker. And Kissinger could have been a peacemaker. Kissinger knew that the war was a mistake. Kissinger, at that time, he had been an aide to Nelson Rockefeller. Kissinger was not a big pro-Vietnam War person until he connected with Nixon. And at that stage, he and Nixon became determined to continue this war when they could have ended it in 1969 with the exact same terms that they got in 1973. So as, as people in our film say, half the names on that Vietnam Memorial Wall in Washington Half of those names of killed Americans are Nixon's responsibility, Nixon and Henry Kissinger's responsibility, and countless of Cambodians, Laotians, and Vietnamese. We'll never know exactly how many. Right. But those deaths and those casualties and that suffering, that is Nixon and Henry Kissinger's responsibility. Well. Thank you for all of that. And thank you so much for this wonderful documentary film, The Movement and the Madman. And as I said, uh, Stephen Talbot's work will be screening on American Experience on Tuesday, March 28th from 9 to 1030. Check your local listings for your PBS outlet for affiliate near you. I strongly recommend you check this out. Not only is it a wonderful film, illuminative about so many things, but it's a great opportunity to understand the context of American foreign policy and domestic policy all in one wonderful piece of work. So many, many thanks to you, Stephen. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.